The Path of Yoga The Art and Science of Happiness When man wakes to this world with one act of kindness and goodwill, a few words of truth heard or uttered, an earnestness in everyday dealing with a strong intention of giving, therefore a non-hoarding of surplus. When man wakes unto himself, unburdened through body-mind orderliness, there arises a sense of contentment, thus a resolve and strength in movement. Beginning to study one's own conduct with a trust in the Almighty's guidance, one arrives at a yogi's doorstep to further an edification. Now to enter the discipline, stability, well-being acquired through the stilling of the body vibration, limb to limb, head to toes, all pathways opening under the mastery of the mind's will. Thus, we begin. The flow of breath, a doorway to within, in entering the spine and inward cleansing, empowering the prana allotted to one through inhalation, exhalation, suspension, begin to pierce the veils of illusion. Taste now the sweetness in this breath. Having tasted the nectar flowing through oneself, the thirsty one at the cusp of Bahiranga, the external, enters the gateway of the Antaranga, internal, wherein lies the mind now beginning to unwind. Having learnt of oneself as a subject alone, ripe arrives the yogi at the doorstep, where the master awaits his concentration, becoming an object unto his absorption, while he undertakes a process of dissolution. The mind, tamed and ego resolved, an intelligence nurtured, reclaimed. The yogi, in his emptiness, now awaits at the doorstep of this ever-giving life to be revived, to awaken, to arise. The soul, stirred by the alchemy of this discipline, wakes from its utter forgetfulness to the ever-sweet remembrance of the silent, love-drenched beloved, and thereby lives on as a meditation. Dear friends, Among the most enduring symbols of yoga is the meeting of the three ancient rivers of India, Ganga, Yamuna and Saraswati. The ancients have compared the three rivers to the three subtle currents, Pingala, Ida and Sushumna. Pingala is the current of the vital force or prana that animates our being. According to yoga theory, Pingala is the life force which flows along the right side of the body. Ida 
is the mental current which flows along the left side of the body and Sushumna is the river of consciousness which flows at the center of the spine. Normally, at any given point in time, either Ida or Pingala dominate. Twice in the day, both the currents balance and this is the time when Sushumna dominates. Ida and Pingala are balanced and this is the point we are in a state of balance and our entire potential is available to us. The Sushumna also dominates when we are in a state of joy or meditation and that is why some of the most evolved human beings are also the happiest ones. The yogi is one who has mastered the art of this balance and his state is itself called yoga. When they meet for a few seconds in a moment of love or meditation, we experience a deep sense of joy. That is when we say, I feel happy. Yoga is simply the method to achieve that. It is the science and art of happiness. We would like to begin this blog with addressing a couple of very common doubts. One question we are frequently asked is, there are so many different schools of yoga. Which one is the correct one? There is only one yoga. Let us explain. We live in times of the market. A teacher has to exist in this environment. So there are different yoga companies, different brands, but all genuine teachings will be based on the same principles of yoga and the principles are best stated in the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali where four chapters talk about the vision of yoga, the principles of practice, the signs of progress and the end goal. The vision statement of the Yoga Sutra is about how to get to a state of Samadhi which is what we call lasting peace, clarity and happiness. Yoga is the process by the help of which we seize the modifications of the human mind. Then the seer is established in his true state. So it is clear what the goal of yoga is, the true state of lasting peace and happiness. And yoga is the way of getting rid of the distortions that occur to this state. The core concept of practice in the Yoga Sutra is Ashtanga or the eight limbs. And they are Yama or restraints, Niyama or affirmations, asana or posture, pranayama or regulation of the life force, pratyahara or control of the senses, dharana or single-pointedness, dhyana or meditation, samadhi or absorption. The second frequently asked question is, 
Aren't there different approaches to yoga? Yes, that is correct. Yoga is a highly individualized approach. So we have Jnana Yoga, which is the knowledge path. Bhakti Yoga, which is the path of devotion. Karma Yoga, which is the path of action. Swara Yoga is where you work with the main Nadi, the Ida, Pingala and Sushumna. Nad Yoga is what the classical musicians practice. Hatha Yoga, where the goal is to unite the Prana and Apanavayu and involves very intense physical practices. Raja Yoga is the method described in the Yoga Sutra. It is considered the middle path and includes aspects of many approaches. And there are more approaches. But the goal of seizing the modifications of the human mind and being established in one's true nature, which is happiness, this alone is the goal of yoga, whatever the approach is. So today, let us look at the eight limbs or ashtanga, which is a detailed roadmap for yoga sadhana or practice. And yet, we must remember that when we share the eight limbs of yoga, it is a conceptual framework. But experience is not conceptual. It is real. So what a student who is sincerely studying yoga, what the student directly experiences is the real thing. Only experience will help you confirm this theory. My master would make us chant the sutra. But when we had a doubt, he would rarely answer it directly. He would give us some experiment to do so that we could realize the answers. Happiness We have heard a story. Around a thousand years ago, there was a renowned Buddhist monastery headed by an old monk who was said to have been more than a hundred years old. Students from all over the world came to him in spite of his reputation of being a terrible taskmaster. All the monks were in awe of the peace and wisdom that emanated out of the Grand Master and were pretty serious about their daily practices. They rarely missed a sermon and almost never had any kind of fun. All but one, whose name was Oki. Oki was always joyous and had a ready smile. He didn't seem to do much except say, Ah, wow, what happiness! And strangely, the old grandmaster seemed to be pleased with him. Oki would sometimes spend hours sitting anywhere, just mumbling, Ah, wow! What happiness! Sometimes he would be doing it facing a wall. It didn't seem to have to be at the beautiful garden or during a meditation or reading a scripture. He could be found to be saying this even in his bed or in the toilet. Ah, wow! What happiness! The monks, who were the best of the best, were perplexed at this strange and seemingly casual behavior. They harassed Oki in many ways, 
disturbing him in his sleep, finishing off his meal, hiding his cloak. But nothing seemed to disturb him. Oki never read the scriptures or did any meditation, but was extremely diligent about his duties at the kitchen or cleaning. He never felt sick, and he took care never to utter a harsh word. Apart from his routine pleasantries, all he seemed to really say is, Ah, wow, what happiness. Once the senior monks, including the Grand Master's deputy and the warden, approached the Grand Master and complained, Revered sire, you seem to be partial to Oki. He lives such an easy life, chanting, Ah, wow, what happiness, what happiness, all the time. It's a disgrace that he should be here with such able and senior monks toiling all day with their lessons. Please give us a good reason why he says that, and why you let him do it, and why we should even tolerate that rascal. The Grand Master said, I know why he says that, but you will not believe it if I told you. He summoned Oki and said, Son, you go to the forest hut and stay there alone till I call for you. You are not to return under any circumstances. The monks looked for a reaction from Oki at this quite harsh directive. They were, of course, pleased at this stern treatment of Oki. The forest hut was dangerous. The isolation there was so complete that in a matter of weeks, many monks had gone completely deranged. A few monks never returned to tell the story. Only the Grand Master had ever returned after staying there for a year. Oki would surely perish, they thought, and return to their quarters pleased with the proceedings. The Grand Master was there as Oki was leaving. He said, Remember the promise, son? Oki nodded and went along. Many moons later, Oki got the summons and he returned to the monastery. The king of Chin, in whose land the monastery was located, was paying a visit to the old Grand Master who hosted him with Oki and all the other monks in attendance. On this day, Oki was given a seat between the king and the Grand Master. There was a moment when the king, both pleased and humbled at the hospitality he was being shown, asked the old Grand Master for guidance. Just then Oki said, Ah, wow, what happiness, what happiness. The king was annoyed that he had come humbly to the monastery and at this very deep and serious moment, Oki should insult him with his completely random utterances. He should have quoted from a scripture or given the king some sort of an initiation. Instead, he just spoke such banal words. The king drew his royal sword and held the razor-sharp blade at Oki's neck and demanded an explanation before his head was severed. Oki remained calm in the face of imminent death at the hands of the king. 
It was said in those regions that once the king had drawn his sword, it would not be sheathed without drawing blood, or it will not bode well for his kingdom. The smile on Oki's lips and the sparkle in his eyes were as loud as ever, even as he faced sure death. Just then, the old teacher said to the king, My lord, Oki says this all the time since he came here many moons ago. It is a good time to reveal to everybody here Oki's story. Why he says what he says and why I have let him be. The Grand Master addressed his monks as well. My Lord, Oki was also a king just like you. You remember the neighboring kingdom of Fu? Yes, Oki is the missing king of Fu. Many, many moons ago, Oki ran away to this monastery. If you remember, O king, he was a contemporary of your father, the late king of Qin, and he ran the affairs of the state very well. And yet, popular as he was, he feared an assassin's attack, which could happen any time. He feared the famine, the earthquake. He feared pests in the fields and enemies' armies. He could never be at peace. He was a very responsible lord, you see. One day he came to me and said he wanted to give it all up. He had enjoyed all the power, all the glory, but was unhappy. He had tried all kinds of tricks to be happy. Neither romance, nor a hunt, nor the arts, nor the prize of war satisfied him. He took on many teachers and they taught him many meditations. And yet, the affairs of the state and being the king always weighed heavily on him. He asked me to make him his disciple. I agreed on one condition. And Oki came to live with us. And from that moment, he has been overwhelmed with a great sense of joy and peace. And all he has practiced since then is just to remain in that state. And that is why he keeps saying, Ah, wow, what happiness. Why should he not say it? Because that is how he feels. The king put his sword back in its sheath and respectfully stepped back, acknowledging Oki. Looking at Oki, the Grand Master said, Dear Oki, you have realized the goal for which you came here. I have seen nothing can disturb you now, not even the prospect of isolation. That stay in the hut in the forest is the ultimate test. And there the stakes really are life and death. You came back just as you left in spite of living so many moons alone in the wilderness with no human contact. And we all saw how you reacted to the prospect of imminent death by the king's sword. Have I delivered on my promise, son? Oki nodded respectfully. 
Addressing the assembly, the Grand Master said, My dear monks, there are no lessons to be learned in this monastery. You all worried, why did I let Oki be? And why was I so strict with you all? Oki was doing fine. I was all these years hoping that one of you would see the flaws in your approach and maybe pick a leaf from Oki's book. Maybe you found Oki's method too simple. Maybe you believed that happiness cannot be so simple. Do not forget why you are here. All the meditations, the lessons, are meant to awaken this intense longing to be happy, at peace. I'm afraid you have many more years to study. Looking at Oki, he said, Son, now it's time for you to fulfill your end of the deal. The kingdom of Fu that you once ruled needs you. Spread the knowledge, go back to your kingdom, and we all know what the new king will say all day. The whole assembly erupted with, Ah, wow, what happiness. The grandmaster said, Your kingdom needs your insight, your methods, my son. Now go, fulfill your end of our deal. Go, and don't look back. <laughs>